Hi, I'm Rick Ryman. Today, to kick off the new year, I introduce a spin-off podcast series from Hijacking History, which I intend to call Pod Pops, Bios in a Blitz. This will be a series of between 5 and 10 minute or so podcast episodes, each providing a once-over lightly biography of the most important things to know and remember about famous people in history. Here, while on the go or on your commute, you can catch up on the people you thought you knew from school, but wanted a refresher on or a more updated dive from the latest knowledge of historical scholarship. On our website, historyrevisited.blueberry.net, I include some recommended books for those wanting more information. Today, after the break, listen to the inaugural Minute Biography, or Pod Pop, about the 32nd President of the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was born in 1882 to Sarah and James Roosevelt of Hyde Park, New York. Franklin was a distant cousin of Theodore Roosevelt, but unlike T.R., he hailed from the Democratic side of the family. The Roosevelts, like the Kennedys and the Bushes, were raised with a sense of noblesse oblige, that public service was both their right and responsibility. Because James was twice the age of Sarah and in fragile health, FDR learned early on to dissemble and hide any personal problems from his father, a habit that became a lifelong trait. In 1904, he married his even more distant relation, Eleanor, niece of the president, who gave her away at the wedding. Franklin determined to follow T.R.'s path, which had taken the Republican Roosevelt from New York politics to the position of Assistant Secretary of the Navy before becoming the youngest ever president. Elected to the New York State House in 1911, FDR was a progressive who favored moderate state intervention to democratize politics and broaden services to labor and the poor. As such, he caught the eye of Woodrow Wilson, who, elected president in 1912, appointed FDR to TR's old position, Assistant Secretary of the Navy. World War I, in which America intervened in 1917, was one of the two turning points in Roosevelt's life, both politically and personally. FDR adopted the idealistic global perspective of his boss, President Wilson, who proposed a League of Nations to preserve world peace. He also traveled to Europe and witnessed scenes of wartime carnage that sensitized him to the price of war. Back in Washington, he pursued a wartime affair with a married woman, Lucy Mercer, which was soon discovered by Eleanor. She offered him a divorce that would surely have ended his hopes for higher office. They settled on a private arrangement in which theirs would be a marriage on paper only and a purely public partnership. FDR's rise continued in 1920 when he was nominated vice presidential candidate on the doomed Democratic Party ticket. But the following year, he suffered his life's second turning point when he contracted poliomyelitis that left his legs completely paralyzed for life. 
For years, however, Roosevelt convinced himself that unrelenting determination and effort would lead to recovery. He built a home in Warm Springs, Georgia, near waters supposedly curative of the disease. Polio proved a mixed matter to FDR politically. It permitted him to absent himself from the political scene while urban-rural conflicts tore the Democratic Party apart in the mid-1920s. But there was no precedent for a severely disabled individual at that time to return to politics, let alone presidential politics. Perhaps more importantly, polio transformed him from a callow, spoiled American aristocrat into an empathetic leader who could relate to the plight of those who faced discrimination through no fault of their own. FDR did not want to return to politics as early as 1928. He preferred to run for president in 1936, following a presumed two terms for the popular Republican candidate, Herbert Hoover. But the Democratic nominee, Alfred E. Smith, pushed him to run for Smith's job as New York governor. Agreeing, Roosevelt narrowly won as Smith was crushed in the presidential election. The decision proved providential for FDR when the Great Depression began six months into Hoover's presidency. Roosevelt became the only president to preside over two existential crises for the nation, the Great Depression and the Second World War. Domestic policy dominated his first two terms when he pushed through Congress programs of relief, recovery, and reform of the economy and its workers. The New Deal was Janus-faced. A first New Deal through 1935 saw FDR place preference on protecting existing wealth by reopening banks under private control and ensuring the middle class who were holders of most of the bank deposits. He boldly attempted economic planning and government supervision of the economy, legally coercing businessmen and farmers to cooperate on pain of fine. Simultaneously, millions of jobless workers received a combination of traditional work relief and unprecedented programs that aligned with the skills or aspirations of the unemployed. After the Supreme Court famously struck down both the industrial and agricultural recovery plans in 1935, FDR went farther with a very different second New Deal that aimed to assist more desperate Americans. He worked cooperatively with Congress to legislate back to life the popular components of the recovery laws that had not run afoul of the court's reasoning, such as collective bargaining and the abolition of child labor. In addition, FDR presided over passage of Social Security and federal standards for wages and labor. A master of radio through his fireside chats, Roosevelt convinced Americans that his alphabet soup of programs flowed from competence and compassion, even though nothing he did ended the Depression before World War II. Overlooked at the time was the fact that the most desperate people requiring FDR's help, most notably African Americans in the South and European refugees fleeing Hitler, could not vote and partly as a result received mostly rhetorical gestures from FDR. 
Historians continue to debate whether the coming storm of war required and therefore justified such circumspection from him. Roosevelt's leadership in preparing America for war represented perhaps his finest hour, to borrow an expression from his wartime ally, Churchill. Distracted by the Depression and traumatized by memories of the Great War, many Americans saw no moral distinctions between the Nazis and their democratic victims. A genius at communication, FDR never blurred his message that American aid to the democracies short of war was the surest guarantor that Europeans and not Americans would at once fight for their liberty and our security if we aided them in time. A darkening storm abroad, the fall of France, the loss of British ships to U-boats, the Axis domination of Europe, helped FDR win support for aid to the democracies short of war, but no more than that. He courageously supported conscription while running successfully for an unprecedented third term in 1940, and he won congressional passage of Lend-Lease in March 1941, three months before the unpredictable Nazi invasion of Soviet Russia. Crucially, FTR stayed ahead of some wartime events in his policies, while using present events to lead and never outpace public opinion. Pearl Harbor, followed by Germany's declaration of war against the United States, united an outraged country against the Axis powers. FDR formed a close relationship with Churchill, while Lend-Lease aid forged an alliance of convenience with the Soviet Union. But Roosevelt mostly failed the test of civilization when it came to responding to the Holocaust and racism at home. Even after news of the Holocaust was confirmed in late 1942, he did little more than threaten post-war retribution against the killers. Only under pressure did he support creation of the War Refugee Board in January 1944, which thereafter saved 200,000 lives. Closer to home, FDR caved into race prejudice and abandoned his responsibility to tamp down West Coast demands that he imprison Japanese Americans, two-thirds of whom were American citizens by birth. He ordered the Army to establish internment camps where aliens and citizens alike, but not Germans or Italians, were held behind barbed wire for most of the war. It was the worst violation of civil liberties in U.S. history. FDR usually reflected the best instincts of a generation that would later be hailed as the nation's greatest, but too often he bowed to the most intense pressures, whether good or bad. By early 1945, heart problems had ravaged his health. Some would later assail him for allegedly permitting the Soviet Union to exercise domination of Eastern Europe. But this situation was largely the result of Roosevelt's familiar channeling of American public opinion. The public no doubt approved Roosevelt's reluctance to invade Europe sooner than late spring 1944, 
a reluctance that saved American lives but prolonged the war until Soviet troops had overrun half of Europe. Roosevelt is best remembered as a democratic realist, one who erred more on the side of protecting democratic norms and American security than of anticipating the moral issues of future generations of Americans. If his moral record appears disappointing today, it is hard to imagine an alternative leader who would have done more, or even as much, to uphold both the nation's traditional values and its security. If you enjoyed this minute biography of FDR, please go to my website, historyrevisited.blueberry.net, and post a comment in response to this episode. Please let me know what other famous people you would like represented in this series. I promise to respond to as many comments as possible, and I most certainly look forward to presenting many more of this kind if listeners like you let me know that you enjoy them. That's historyrevisited.blueberry, that's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot net. Until then, happy listening.